chapter 14. It's Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. We've spent several weeks, several months down the book of Acts. And, and I've enjoyed it. The more that I've got to study Acts and go deeper in it, I, I've seen the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen more clearly the evidence and, and, the, and the game plan, right? The blueprint of what God wants to do with His church. Not just 2,000 years ago in the early church, but what He still wants to do Today, this book, it basically tells us, shows us, lays it out very clearly from the beginning of it all the way through till now and to continue through the rest of the book, very clearly shows us what God's desire is to do through and with His church, right? To do with His people in the world that we live in. How He desires His people to live, how He desires His people to minister, how He desires for His people to impact the world around them. And it was true then, and it was effective then, and it was powerful then, and it moved people and saw people saved then, and it can and will still do the same thing today. Amen. We make things to where it fits in the modern times where it looks right. I mean, you know, we, there's some things that aren't relevant that weren't relevant then that are now and vice versa. But we still have this same blueprint of what it is that God desires to do with and through His church. Amen. And one of the biggest parts, the biggest aspects of that is He wants us to use He wants to use the Holy Spirit for us to share the work. Amen. To share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the testimony of who Christ was. To share that. But what this chapter shows us is the reception of the word. How it is received by the world around us. And if anybody that has been in church, been, in, been around church any time at all, realizes that the word, the gospel, the truth is received very differently across different demographics, to different people, between different people in the same household, the word is received differently. And we need to prepare for each way that people receive it and understand that we are still, no matter how it is received or how we fear that it may be received, we still should be sharing this good news, the Word of God, the testimony of who Christ is. We have several ch- uh, verses. We'll read most of the chapter today. Um, but I do encourage you, as with every other chapter, read the rest of the chapter. We we have a game plan of what we're doing. We go chapter at a time. I love it if we come in, everybody came in, and we had read the chapter that we're going to preach on the week before, right? That we are already read up, that we know where we're at. But even if you haven't, I pray that you read the rest of this chapter today or the next couple of days just to see the fullness of what is going on here. But we're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18, and talk about the reception of the word. Amen. So it reads like this. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. 
Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in by God generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling their hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. This is Acts 14, 1 through 8. Real quick, let's let's understand. Real quick, I say the reception of the Word. And we think the Word and we think the Bible, right? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But understand the context of the historical point that they, don't, they do not have our, our Bible, right? Paul writes... A third of the of the Bible, third of the New Testament, and he's right now just in his ministry. He's just doing his ministry now. He doesn't do the writing until he goes to jail, and that happens later on in his ministry, right? So, so the majority of the Bible that that we read, a good portion of it, has not been written, has not been kind of brought together in the form and the fashion that we're used to it with, right? The majority of the scripture they used was called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They knew it well. It was a big part of what their life was. They also quoted the prophets, which we get a lot of that in the Old Testament as well. But the New Testament didn't exist at this point. Not in the form and fashion that we, we, we see. They just had the verbal testimony of who Jesus was. There may have been some letters floating around of some of what Jesus had done, of what, he, what he'd went through, what the persecution, the crucifixion, things of that nature. But it was not compiled together in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We didn't have the Gospels. We didn't have the book of Acts, obviously. They're living it out. They're not writing it as they go. This was something that they was that they compiled later on. We don't have the uh, Pauline letters of Romans and Galatians and these things of the nature. We don't have Hebrews. We don't have you know Revelations and these other epistles that some of the apostles wrote. The word that they are speaking of at this time is the testimony of who Christ was. That he was the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies that had been established through the prophets and through the books that we now know as the Old Testament. They, they were saying that this is the God that we've been waiting for, that we've been looking for. They were telling of his great deeds, of all that he had done. He told them in one place, he said, go tell them everything that you see me do and everything that I have taught you, right? That's what he has established with them as the word. And we still do that today, except we have it in the written form of the Bible, right? We get the Bible writings of what he did while he was on this earth in the Gospels. We get a lot of the lessons that he taught throughout the letters and the epistles that are given. And we get further prophecy in the book of Revelations and things of that nature. So we see that. we They do not have the Bible, but they are still sharing the same gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one that the Jews and the Gentiles need to be saved and to make heaven their home, to have a relationship with Christ. They have to accept the sacrifice that he gave. And that is the word that we are speaking of. Right? The word is just simply the testimony of who Christ was, the gospel message. Right? It's not talking about the Bible. It's not talking about a specific book. It's not talking about a specific verse. None of that. We're not. I love Romans Road, but it's not even talking about that. It's just talking about simply the gospel message of who Christ was. Right? And they are sharing that message, and we still today should be sharing that message. 
And we know that that message is received differently from person to person. right? Each of us came to Christ in a different way. Each of us came to Christ through a different set of circumstances, a different situation, from different people telling us, from different people talking to us, hearing different sermons, hearing different songs, reading different scriptures, being raised differently. We all are receptive and receive the gospel message, the message and testimony of Christ in different ways. And that is the same for everybody else. And we see that here. We see very distinctly, personally, I see three clear examples of how the gospel, how the word of God, how his testimony of who he is, of what he's done, the lessons that he's taught, how they can be received. And we see these alive and working today as well. The first is that the Word is denied. The Word denied. So let's read, read some Scripture. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the Word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. The message, the word, the gospel, the testimony was shared in this city, Lyconia. And there was a great many that declined it that rejected it, that did not desire it, that denied the Word and said, I don't want a part of this. This reality, as sad as it is to say, is still true today. There are people that we will share the Gospel with, that we will tell about Christ, that we will present it in a wonderful way, in an immaculate way, that we can do everything we know to do and we share the Gospel to them and they still deny it. That's a harsh reality. That's a sad thing to think about. But does that mean that we should resist and not share it to those that we fear may deny? Quite on the contrary. It means that our desire should be even more so to see them be saved. Do we think that just because this stuff happened that Paul stopped praying for the Jews and Gentiles that didn't believe in Iconium? No. Do we think that he did not care about these people anymore? No. Do we think that he didn't try to go back time and time again? No doubt. He probably did. He probably sent people to go back to this place. Raised up pastors and said, hey, I struggled here, but maybe you can go back. Maybe they'll listen to your message of the gospel and receive it. But there are some that deny it. And there are some that will deny it. The Bible tells us in the parable of the sower and the seed, right? That he sowed some that went on different places. But one says that they sowed it on the rock. And it just doesn't happen. That the seed, the seed being the word, the message, the gospel, the testimony, whatever you want to call it, that seed fell on the rock and, and nothing sprung up from it. It was denied, it was rejected, it was not received. I pray that even as we talk about evangelism, and even as we talk about going talking to people about Christ, that, that we do not develop this idea that every time we do it, we will have abundantly successful fruit come from it. It is a struggle. It is a it is a journey. There are times when we will go time and time again to somebody's door, time and time again to present the gospel and go to them and say, hey, this is the testimony, this is the word, and it will be denied, it will be rejected, it will be undesired. That is the world that we live in. A world that is at war with Christ. A world that does not want any part of it. And the enemy has convinced so many that there is foolishness. But the Bible tells us that the preaching of God, the preaching of salvation is foolishness. To those in the world. And it is strange. It is peculiar. It is undesirable. There is something weird about it. To many people. 
So of course we will be rejected at times. The message will be turned down in situations. But here's the thing. Yes, Paul left the area, but he didn't stop doing what he knew he was supposed to do. There's going to be times you're turned down. Man, if every time I preached a message and I felt like I was doing God's will and it was it was not received, right? I preach a message of salvation and nobody comes to be saved and I quit, then I would have quit a long time ago, right? You would have never seen Pastor Jacob walk through these doors because there have been many sermons I've preached to be received, to be saved, for somebody to accept Christ. The gospel message be presented and I do what I feel like God has called me to do. And yet it is not received. If we quit when those things happen, when we are denied, when we are rejected, then there will never be a time, there will be many times that pass and come that we were supposed to do what God wants to do and we never did because we were denied at one point. Because we presented the gospel in the way that we thought we should, that we believed we should, that the Holy Spirit led us to, and the other side didn't receive it. There will be times that it is not received. There will be times that it is not accepted, that it is denied, and it is scorned. And instead of, that's frustrating, I understand that, but it should grieve us. Grieve us to pray even more deeply for those individuals. Grieve us to pray even more intently and passionately and purposefully that those individuals would receive the gospel message at some point in their life before their life is over. It should not drive us to quit. Or to throw our hands up and say, well, there's no sense in telling people because nobody wants to hear it. The Bible says the harvest is ready, yet the laborers are, are few. I have to believe that Scripture is true and right. And if Scripture tells me, and if the Bible tells me, if the, world tell, if, the, if the Word tells me that the harvest is right, then that means that there's somebody out there. That there are people out there that are ready to receive it and that I should not be turned off or turned away by those that have denied it. Amen. You will be denied. This is my guarantee to you. And you say, well, you shouldn't say that. That's not very encouraging. This is my guarantee to you. You will be denied more than you are accepted. You will be turned away more than you are received. Christ tells His disciples multiple times, especially towards the end and after He'd already resurrected and taught some of His last lessons, was based on this idea. If they would have done this to me, what makes you think they won't do it to you? That's just layman's terms of what He said. If they would reject the master of the field, what makes you think they won't reject the laborer? If they would reject the master of the house, why don't you think they would reject, they would reject the butler or anything like that? If they would reject Christ, deny Him when He was there in the flesh, we too will experience that same rejection and denial of the priest and shared Word of God. Yet Christ did not stop sharing it. Christ did not stop going to people. He continued to move from city to city, to people to people, house to house, family to family, sharing this testimony. So too should we. Christ did not stop when He was denied. He continued to do what He knew, the Father, the business that His Father had sent Him to do. So the word denied. But there's also the word misconstrued. Misconstrued simply means misunderstood, confused, twisted, you know, perverted in some way. And we see that, right? Look at what happens here when they go to Lystra. It says, now when the people saw what Paul had done, this is referring back to when he had, had told the, man, the boy that had been crippled from since his birth, that, you know, to rise up and walk, and he did. It says, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in Iconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker when the priest of Zeus 
whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. God moved. That was undeniable. Something happened that they knew could not have happened by the hand of men. That was obvious to them. That they could not have done this. This boy had been, ever since he was born, had been crippled. His ankle and leg bones had been weakened and they did not have strength to move. This has been something that they had seen him again and again. This was not some stranger to their land. This was a guy that they had seen born and raised. They knew his family. They knew his people. They knew his name, no doubt. And here we go, this guy, and all of a sudden, after all the things that they had no doubt tried to have done, through their powers and through their abilities, nothing had changed for this man. Yet here Paul and Barnabas walk in, and one of the first things they do here in this city is that he is miraculously healed. They knew this is not the working of mankind. Something divine is happening. Yet, they allowed their personal and previous bias to misconstrue what God was trying to communicate. Understand that. They allowed something that they believed previously, something that they had held on to previously, something that was important to them priorly, and they said, this has to be true, so if this happens, surely my bias, they didn't say this, they didn't say it this way, but my bias leads me to believe it has to be divine, and if it's divine, it must be Zeus and Hermes. It was misconstrued. God was trying to communicate something to them that there is a greater power even than what you believe, what you think you know, what you think is right, what you think is real. All these pagan gods that you worship and serve and these pantheons that you offer these sacrifices to and do all these things to, they are not real. I'm going to present my power to you. But then they see that and they misconstrue it and twist it to fit within what they already believed. Here's the thing. We as Christians in the church... And people out of the church still today do this same thing. They misconstrue the word to fit within their prior belief system. They misconstrue and twist and pervert the word to fit within their prior belief system. Right? We do this with all kinds of things. Right? If you were raised to believe a certain way then when, and you've never known Christ, but then you come to church and you see Christ, it is very easy for us to begin to sift through Scripture and find certain verses or certain things that are said that fit within our prior belief system, that fits and works within our biases and allows us to continue to live and exist with those certain things in our mind. These guys saw this, and instead of allowing it to change who they were, They tried to make it fit in who they already were. People are presented Scripture in a daily manner. They know Scripture. Yet instead of allowing it to change them, they they find a way to twist it, to misconstrue it, and to pervert it to make it fit within their prior understanding or thoughts or beliefs about the world. To fit in their own kind of their own opinions, their own biases, their own desires, and they will misconstrue Scripture to make it fit. This is one way that the word is received, right? This is why we as Christians need to be a, a, need to have a, a good developed understanding of Scripture. We've talked about that ever since we came into the church. Is that we as Christians need to know the word to be able to defend it, to be able to go to bat for it, to be able to represent it in a great and in an effective manner, so that when the world comes and they give their perverted understanding of the word, we can give a true, authentic, aligned with God and all of Scripture understanding of the word. Here's the reality that I've come to to see and understand from reading scripture 
is that if I want to support anything, I can probably do that with a verse of Scripture. If I take one verse of Scripture or a part of a verse of Scripture, I can find a way to represent that to where it seems like the Bible is supportive of that stance or belief or whatever it may be. It's easy to do. There are umpteen hundreds of thousands of verses, millions of words within the Bible that we read, that we hold as our divine religious scripture, our religious text, the Word of God. So it, it, it is not wild to think that you can find a snippet and clip it and put it in something or stitch it on a pillow or put it on Facebook and make it seem like it says something that it does not. Have we not seen Satan himself do this in the very beginning of time? God told Adam and Eve, Thou shalt not eat of this tree, or thou shalt surely die. And he says, No, 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 no. Thou shalt surely not die. To misconstrue, to misrepresent, to twist and pervert, to make it fit into what you want it to believe. Here's the reality. If you read through Scripture and it always says what you want it to say, you're not reading the Scripture I'm reading. Because more often than not, I read Scripture and it usually comes into conflict with what what I want to do. What this flesh wants to do. So if you read through the Scriptures and you're never, you're never conflicted, you are never convicted, then you're a, a whole lot better person than I am. Because this flesh doesn't always like what the Scripture says and it wants to pervert it and twist it and misconstrue it so that it fits me. But that's not what we're supposed to do with Scripture. And here's the thing. How can we expect the world to not do that if we in the church do that thing? You understand what we're saying? If we in the church are twisting Scripture at every turn and every way that every time that we want to, then the world is going to do the same thing and say, well, the church does it. Why can't I do it? We need to know what Scripture says and represent it well and stand firmly on the truth of Scripture. If it don't fit you, you don't twist Scripture. You, you change yourself. Or you allow the Holy Spirit to change you, right? Don't misconstrue Scripture. Don't twist it to make it fit you. You do whatever you have to in your life to fit Scripture. But that's a lot of times when we receive, when we hear Scripture, when we hear the Word, when we hear the testimony of Christ and lessons that He taught, we do a lot of backbending and twisting and turning to make earth, to make it fit what we want it to, just like these did. They see this divine working, and what do they do? They automatically they go to what they're familiar with. They're not compelled to think anything is different about the world today than it was yesterday. They're not compelled to change. They do not have any desire to embrace changing themselves. So they just say, well, surely it must be what I've always believed. We have to look at Scripture and understand that what I've always believed isn't always what Scripture stands for. Amen? But we can have confidence and faith, knowing and believing that even though there's times where the word is denied, and there are times where the word is misconstrued, that there are also times where the word will be embraced. Amen. The beginning of this chapter starts this way. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. The word was embraced. The word was received. The word was taken in. It was consumed. There was a desire for it. There was a need for it. There was a want for it. And there was an acceptance of it. Amen. And even still today, just like I said, and like I said, it might not seem like a hopeful statement. 
saying that you are going to be rejected a whole lot more than you are accepted. But the fact that if one accepts the, accepts the word that we share, the testimony that we give, the gospel that we spread, then that is what then, then God is thrilled. The Bible says in one place that the angels in heaven rejoice at one being saved. At one coming to the knowledge of God. At one coming and being saved from the depths of hell and the lake of fire that is to come. We should rejoice and seek the one. Even though we are rejected at times. Know that there is a one that desires it. A one that will receive it. A one that is seeking. A one that is hunting. A one that is lost out in the world. The Bible says that he would leave his ninety and nine to go and find the one. The one that would accept it and would embrace it is the one that we are looking for. The one that we are seeking. And you're going to have a lot of no's before you find a yes. You're going to have a lot of I don't want that before you find a that's what I've been needing. You're going to have a lot of people saying leave me alone before you hear somebody say I want to hear more. You're going to hear a lot of that. But it's worth it to find the one. To hear the one. To get to the one that needs it, that's ready for it, that's receptive to it, that their heart has been softened, that through whatever experience of life they've come to a place at this time, at this moment, to receive what we are giving. It is worth it for the for the one. Right? Paul and, and Barnabas. As it should be for us today. It was their desire to desire to see everybody be saved. Christ says in one place, he says, It's not my desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That should be our desire as well. But it also we should have the understanding that we fight against a power that, that people want more than the, more than God a lot of times, right? They don't want to. We don't want to change our ways. We don't want to change who we are. We don't want to give our life over to God. We don't want to surrender our own power and our own will and our own freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, and just to follow the whims of this flesh to do and, and be whatever it is that we may in that moment. We don't like the idea of that. But there will be one. There will be a, here and there, every now and then. Maybe it's every couple of months. Maybe it's every couple of years. It, don't, it might not be but one in your lifetime. But there will be the one. The one that will embrace and receive the message, the word, the testimony, and the gospel of who Christ is. The thing is, though, you will never find the one if you stop looking. You will never hear a yes if you quit the first time you hear a no. You will never be able to kneel down beside somebody and lead them in a, a prayer or just to let them know that they can talk to God if the first time somebody scorned you, you just walked away. We have to understand that there are those that will still embrace it. There are those that are still receptive to it. There are those that still desire it. We just have to keep looking, keep sharing Keep telling someone, anyone, about this word that we have received and this word that is so needful for the world to receive. Through this book of Acts chapter 14, we witness the the power of of God's word capable of, of transforming hearts, not only just hearts, but communities, right? And as we navigate a world that denies the word, that misconstrues the word, we should find hope in knowing that just as we few have received it, there are still a few that will receive it. 
Amen. There are still a number that desire. There are still those that are seeking. And as long as they are seeking, we should still be seeking. As long as God is seeking to save those which are lost, we should be seeking to, seeking to save or to find those that are to be saved that are lost. Amen. We should continue to seek and have hope that God is not done. Until He has come back to take His church home, He is still working and doing what He is here to do, what He came to do in the first place. Amen. The Word. The word, the testimony, the gospel of who Christ is and and was. Throughout all of time, there have been those that have denied it, those that have twisted it, and those that have embraced it. And you'll come across all of them in this journey. You'll come across all of them as you share His message. You'll come across all of them as you tell people about Christ. And that's okay. Because there will be those that will say yes. And there will be those that say, tell me more. There will be those that say, I'm interested. There will be those that say, can you tell me how I can know this Jesus too? And those are worth it all. All the rejection, all the denial. All the times that even our words are misconstrued and twisted and we're made out to be the villain or the bad guy or some kind of evil being, right? The Bible tells us that the world will see good as evil as time goes on. There will be times where you are twisted and perverted to make to be seen by the world as evil for what we are trying to do. But we are doing what God has called us to do. To go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. So let's continue to to seek those, to share this word, to share this testimony. I want to encourage you. The idea behind this sermon, the the mentality that we're wanting to make sure that we, this understanding that we want to have is is to understand that we will be rejected. We don't do good with rejection sometimes. That's what I'm wanting to make sure you understand. We will be rejected. But that doesn't mean, I told somebody one time, that doesn't mean they're rejecting you. Ultimately, that means they're rejecting Christ. And instead of that hurting us, that should sadden us to understand that somebody will reject such a great and glorious gift. And it should make it and move us to pray even more for that individual. That if it's not us, that it would be somebody else that comes to share that message. And that maybe the next time they would receive it. That they would embrace it. Amen. But let us share the word, the testimony, the gospel of Christ to those in the world that are in such a desperate need of it. Amen. Let us not be turned off by denial and rejection. Let us be sure that we do not misconstrue Scripture and that we are an example of holding Scripture up to the, the highest standard, right? That, that is our standard of Scripture. And that we are always seeking for those that would embrace it. Amen. Because there are those that will embrace it.